0: This edition of How To Be A CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, Reid, Founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good
1: luck. Hi, I'm Lawrence Telaglio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium
2: 70,000 people at a four-day event in Lisbon listening to some of the most influential leaders of some of the biggest tech companies on earth. It's come a long way from its early but always ambitious days in Dublin.
0: I remember organising pub crawls that Bono and other members of U2 very kindly took CEOs or founders on. But some actors in particular, quite Irish actors, quite militants about the amount of alcohol you should consume in a pub crawl. Otherwise, it's not a pub crawl.
2: Paddy Cosgrave is the co-founder and CEO of the show. He's seen it grow from a few bloggers and entrepreneurs in
0: 2009 to the well-oiled machine that it is now. Mostly well-oiled. Elon Musk was due to speak and he wanted to get a Model S up on stage. There was actually no Model S in Europe. And so, you know, there were definitely moments where it's like, well, we can't get them. How are we going to get a Model S, Mr. Musk?
2: I'm David Marlson from The Evening Standard. Paddy's a
0: great interviewee, and you're going to get loads of
2: insight into how to run a live event, attract venture capitalists to your company, and a little bit of behind-the-scenes gossip. There's also a lot of swearing. Like a lot. And yeah, we could take it out, but that's how Paddy Cosgrove speaks, so we've left it in. If you're in a room with other people, maybe put your headphones on. Now, live events have become a huge thing since lockdown ended, and when we meet Paddy, what I want to know is, is there room for them all?
0: That's a good question. I think the return to events has been mixed. Music festivals are absolutely booming. Um, there's been a lot of consolidation in business events. So some of the bigger events seem to be thriving. And uh, perhaps people need now to be more discerning in the conferences that they go to, especially perhaps business conferences. You just can't be seen to go on endless junkets. Times are tighter, certainly in tech. So, you know, I think there's a maybe a rush to the existing big Behemoths in the space, but is there a is there a demand for them? Did people rush
2: back to live events in your experience, Patty?
0: In our experience, yes. I'm gonna you know I'm I'm gonna say that. I mean, our our event in Toronto in June, which is called Collision, which uh, first took place in 2019. So the second event was took until 2022. Um, you know, we hit a kind of all time high in terms of attendees, and you know, Web Summit itself never sold out really. Uh, ahead of time. We just had to shut tickets a couple of days before for security uh, purposes, but we've had a a hard sellout effectively three weeks ahead of the event this year. That's certainly indicative of a huge pent up demand. The reasons for it, I've got working theories. I'm sure everybody does. But, you know, maybe in the years to come, we'll figure out why the pendulum seems, at least for us, to have swung so fiercely back towards people meeting uh in real life as opposed to virtually
2: yeah i mean did, did you feel like as we came out of covid that was a certainty that people are going to come back or were you kind of looking at those ticket sales going oh my god
0: <laughs> no i mean there was definitely points where i thought oh my god we're now completely fucked and, you know <laughs> we we'd spent a decade um only growing we're bootstrapped so we'd only ever made profit uh and then suddenly we got to the end of uh, 2020, early 2021, uh, and it was clear when we kind of s- stared at our 2020 uh, accounts that we our revenue had collapsed by an incomprehensible amount of money. We had hemorrhaged uh, you know, almost all of the money that we'd built up, uh, saved up over the years, and there was no certainty any events would return in, in 2021, and we were essentially running out of... Um, runway rapidly and it's sort of in those moments that you get a sense for the people around you and how committed they are you know great kind of people and executives i think when the going gets tough they dig in and they rally around and they try and do whatever they can to rescue what was a terrible situation uh by the time we got to i think july 2022, it was clear we could actually run Web Summit. Obviously, we didn't have a full year to put it together, to market it, to sell it, anything like that. Um, And we were allowed to have uh, 42,000 kind of attendees, and we got right up to that licensed uh, limit. And this year we're back to a full kind of 70,000 capacity. But yeah, we've stared sort of business death uh, right in the face. (laughs) I'd love to share my winning lottery uh, numbers with you, but uh, they they really had to do with timing. We just got lucky, you know, perhaps we did a lot of things right. We took a lot of risks. We decided to keep everyone um, and that carried immense risk. Had the pandemic rolled on for even longer, I think we would have flamed out in spectacular circumstances and 200 plus people would have lost their jobs. But since... Uh, things have opened up again, you know, we've increased our headcount by, you know, 25%. Uh, You know, we kind of went into COVID with about 200 odd uh, employees, we're now approaching kind of 300. So we've been very lucky. Uh, And we we, we, we stuck at it, even when it looked like um, we were fighting against all odds
2: it's one thing to think about getting people to go back into live events and exhibitions and things but what you know a live event lives and dies on its delegates and the people speaking did you have problems getting people in did you have to say look these are the precautions we're making everything's going to be okay did, were, were people willing to get back out there
0: good question i think anybody that that like decides they're going to go to an indoor event with 40,000 people they're already sort of you know they're kind of you know i don't i we, of course, took all of the precautions that we were mandated to do, but anybody that makes that decision just has no qualms with gathering together in, a, in large numbers. So, you know, we communicated that stuff, but just didn't really seem to, to matter to that self-selecting uh, group. So uh, they were just prepared to get out there no matter what. And uh, this year, I think it's, it's kind of radically different. It all feels very much in the past.
2: It does it does feel very different. It does feel like there are all kinds of new live events coming out now. I think there're going to be people listening to this show, Paddy, who their company's gone, right, you're the boss of live events now, and they're like I have no idea what I'm doing. So <laughs> I've never done this before. There are going to be people in that situation. Day one, sitting down, blank piece of paper in front of them, give them some advice, Paddy. What <laughs> help them out.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that Well, firstly, just a number of things are happening. So many companies are either fully remote or partially remote or flexible remote. At this point, the companies need moments where teams, at least, if not entire kind of companies get together. So we've been a net beneficiary of, you know, a huge jump in the number of group uh, kind of uh, bookings. And I I think that's the the driving uh, motive for it. I think attending any event, no matter what the scale it 's uh, you know you get out what you put into it, and what you put into it is not during the event itself. you have to plan your time everybody 's going there, their time on the ground is finite, it could be two days or three days and most people quite frankly, go there with a with a full schedule um, they 've already figured out who they 're going to meet and they 've arranged a time and a place to do that and we see, because of the software that all of our attendees use, we see their schedules or their calendars, and um, we also see the survey results back afterwards and People that spend a lot of time before the event planning uh, tend to report afterwards that they had a productive event. I mean go figure um, so you know, I remember talking doing a uh, a sort of a hangout with uh, some very experienced entrepreneurs who you know, literally been to hundreds of events and they were advising first-time entrepreneurs who'd never been to an event before what to do. And one of their golden rules, that I'm I'm trying to think, Alex, uh, he sold smart things to Samsung. He basically said, look, for every day I'm on the ground, I spend three days pre-planning everything. That's his rule, may not work for everyone, but I think what you put in, uh, you know, you get out what you put in.
2: Does it always go to plan, Patty?
0: No, well, I mean, so, you know, the other thing is just serendipity. At any event, there's all sorts of things. That you just you can't control who you're going to be standing in line in the airport, even on the way home. And, you know, there's tales over the years that have been retold to me about, you know, people standing in line for a taxi waiting for the underground. Um, and they just said because they're surrounded by tens of thousands of people that are in their industry, uh, the conversations that get sparked, in particular at night as well, uh, can lead to all sorts of unintended business outcomes. So serendipity is a, is a large component of any gathering uh, of human beings, be it 20 people for dinner in your house or 20,000 people uh, at a conference. So Make some time for a bit of serendipity as well. Don't, don't don't schedule yourself 20 hours of your day. Meander and wander and go to parties and go to dinners and you never know who you'll end up meeting.
2: Do you get anxiety, though, when a conference is, is coming up? Something like Web Summit. You've done loads of them now. I'm sure it's a well-oiled machine, but things have gone wrong at Web Summit before. Do you worry about those things happening again or do you just kind of have to go... Well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen.
0: Uh, Sure. Like, you know, I remember there were moments when Elon Musk was due to speak and uh, he wanted to get a Model S up on stage and it had just come out. And, you know, one of his staff was able to relate to the fact, relate to him the fact that there was actually no Model S uh, in Europe. And he was effectively on stage 24 hours later, uh, advertised with a Model S And so, you know, there were definitely moments where it's like, well, we can't get them. How are we going to get a Model S, Mr. Musk? Uh, And of course, he put one in a plane and flew it to Ireland and uh, stuff can fall together. I mean, in the past, I remember um, organizing pub crawls in in, in Dublin that Bono and other members of U2 uh, very kindly took, you know, a dozen tech CEOs or founders on and some of these Irish uh, actors, some quite famous Irish actors in, uh, in the world, and many of them very kindly came and uh, took, a, took a group. Uh, but some actors in particular, are quite Irish actors, quite militant about the amount of alcohol you should consume in a pub crawl. Otherwise, it's not a pub crawl, which, you know, three pints of Guinness and six whiskeys later, over the course of uh, 90 minutes, pre a relatively serious business dinner, can be ruinous for an American, you know, heavyweight tech CEO but they get caught up in the moment and um it's uh it's uh, it's fascinating to see what happens when an incredibly serious billionaire is reduced to a state of leglessness by uh, kind of an academy award-winning irish actor i will name no names
2: well, this seems a good time to go to an ad break. Anyone for a Guinness? I'll get them in while you listen to these commercials. Why not hit your subscribe button while you wait and never miss an episode of How to Be a CEO? Right, I'll be back in a sec. I'll get some crutch too. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze...
1: wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
2: Web Summit has been like, you know, it, it's, it grew really, really quickly. It started with just a few hundred, I think about 400 people went to the first one. And then, you know, three years later, it's enormous. I mean, was there a key thing that you did to achieve that? Um, or was it serendipity? Was it just luck?
0: building any uh, any event, um, especially, you know, if it's at the cutting edge of broadly, say, the economy, you're, you're dealing with a lot of smart, busy uh, people, and they're relatively discerning. Uh, and they don't come back to something that is a waste of their time. So if anything gives me anxiety, uh, it is that and your event spreads by, overwhelmingly by, by word, of, word of mouth. There are many things I'm sure that we, we, we did, but one of the things that struck me as, a, as an attendee at tech conferences at a startup prior to starting a Web Summit was I'd fly to San Francisco, as an example. I'd see these amazing people on stage. I'd attend the conference from nine to five. And then if I wasn't a speaker, basically fuck off there was kind of nothing. And it was a terrible shame because there could have been 2000 entrepreneurs and investors in from around the world. And if you weren't in that sort of golden circle of maybe 100 VIPs, there was nothing to gather you together. And I thought it was a huge opportunity missed. So at Web Summit, from the earliest days, we created something called Night Summit that effectively, once you know 5 p.m. came, uh, Night Summit took off. And that runs until effectively 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning in Lisbon because of the licensing laws. And it's just a great way of allowing people to get more out of their time at a at a conference. And Web Summit at its core is, is not about the big names of today. It is where people go to find the names that they don't yet know, but have some mm. chance of being big names in the future. So when Jack Dorsey came to speak, he was just setting up Square. You know, he'd kind of been booted out of Twitter. Twitter was just been around for three and a half years. Yeah, it was a bit of a thing. And that's the case for so, so many people. And then looking back, people are like, oh, you had Jack Dorsey. Why don't you have somebody else that's a big deal like Jack Dorsey? And it's like, well, Jack Dorsey was not a big deal when he came. But you have worked with
2: just a huge number of startups. What is the environment for a startup company today, as opposed to when things were were starting to build up? We've come through this tumultuous period now. Can you succeed in a startup? particularly in
0: tech? Well, you know, I, I do think it's a lot like the lottery. There are so many companies founded, you know, like a vanishingly small amount, raise venture capital. Of those, only a tiny fraction actually go on to survive. Of those, an even tinier fraction go, go on to billion-dollar sort of stardom. Um, and well, some of the things that have changed, I think, I, I remember a decade ago, Matt Mullenweg, who founded, created WordPress, you know, trying to convince people that you could build a remote first company um which automatic the kind of company behind it is, and that sort of fell on a lot of kind of deaf ears now everybody's persuaded the best way to build a company <laughs> is remote first certainly that has changed uh you know there's teams of smart and interesting people finding each other in all corners of the world it 's not necessary that your first employees or your founders are co-located in the same working space and nobody thinks that anymore it's just hard you know very understandably the media are interested in telling the stories of incredible achievement and sometimes things that have crashed in, in a massive fiery ball of fraud maybe or worse and um The reality is for 99% of companies, they just go out of existence with a complete kind of whimper. But it's very real and tough for the individuals uh, that are involved. And I just think if you're going to get involved in a early stage company, if you're going to create one, you have to go in with no illusions that success is absolutely not guaranteed. And worse, the default outcome is abject uh, failure. As long as you're comfortable with that, then, you know, go for it. But you, you, just, you just can't imagine otherwise. It's like becoming a professional footballer or, a, you know, a Hollywood actor. It's the dream of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of, of kids. It may be the dream of millions of kids to be a successful entrepreneur, but the, the, the reality is incredibly different from the, from the dream.
2: Were you always comfortable with that Paddy, did you have that, right? We're, we're going to live or die, and if I die, that's fine.
0: Um, no, I, like, I do think you have to be powered by some degree of naivety. You know, when you tell your, your mum and dad you want a tennis racket for Christmas, and they say, why? And you say, oh, I just want to, I want to play tennis. But actually, it's because you've been dreaming of lifting uh, a Wimbledon trophy over your head. <laughs> when you want your first football or you want a better football for Christmas than you have, it's because you are... You are dreaming that it is possible you might win the FA Cup or the Premiership or or something like that. So you have to be able to imagine this impossible future. Um, But I think you also have to be conscious of the fact that the chances are absolutely kind of stacked against you. Um, but you'll try, and you'll be as determined as possible, and you'll try everything.
2: Yeah, I think I think at least an awareness of reality is probably really important to someone who's who's creating a startup, uh, maybe a young entrepreneur. And I, I guess I think a lot of them probably think it's fine. We we've got this great idea. We're going to get investors. We're going to talk to a venture capitalists. We're going to do all of this. Is there money there for them? Is is that is that a good route? Should they be thinking of other ways of financing? Yeah, them? sure.
0: I like. I, I think there there's no shortage of capital right now. Um, the way that you access that capital, I do think is, it, it's always been a game, but it's just more of a game than ever before because I think investors awash with money almost are in this frenetic race where they don't really do any due diligence. They just look for um, signaling. Are you talking to the right people? Do you sound like the right person? Are you saying the right things? It doesn't apply for every investor. I just think there's a lot of investors, venture capitalists in the world right now without a huge amount of experience. They're new funds. They're, they've got 100 million, 200 million uh, and they're just writing checks. They don't really know how to make a discerning investment decision. And so they instead look for signaling. So, you know, my advice to any entrepreneur is, you know, adopt default vernacular and uh, clothing and talk to the right people And that that, that will help you some part of the way. I'm being totally honest. I mean, I think it's the world we tend to be in. I actually have a default. uh, The company, the second company I started, is entirely bootstrapped. We took no external capital. And, you know, if you can survive, it's never been cheaper to start a company and to scale and start selling uh, a product. And the longer you can survive without raising capital or go between rounds, um, sometimes the better terms you're going to, not always, it's not a rule. Uh, you're going to achieve. The one thing I just will say is I am always skeptical of anyone who says, here's my story and this is what you should do or you should infer from my story lessons. I'm like, that's just insane. You've won the lottery. Now, shut the fuck up. Uh, Instead, I think what's useful is methods just for, you know, framing your thinking. You know, here's a way of kind of thinking through a problem, but, you know, anybody who offers solutions, the uniqueness of everybody's business, the sector they're going after, the timing, their particular product, the uh, idiosyncrasies of their team are so unique that anybody who offers solutions is, you know, probably well-intended, don't get me wrong, but just naive as to how the world actually uh, works. And I think you're much better off spending time trying to sharpening your thought process, how you approach kind of problems and think through things. Uh, And it's always good to have sounding boards around you that aren't necessarily on your board, they're not necessarily in your company. They probably are kind of your mates who are just going to say, you know, they're going to be like, David, David, you're being an idiot again. (laughs) And nobody you're currently paying or anybody on your board is probably going to say that to you. Uh, And so you just need the, you have to have naysayers. You have to have your mate... Who's just like a total negative Nigel or whatever, you know, who's just you go to the pub and they're just like, Oh, you're talking shite again? And you're like, you're like, oh man, come on, I have this great idea. I think like this company's really going, going to, you know, shoot for the stars. And they're just like, Oh, just shut up, will you? You know, we're trying to watch a Champions League match here. Enough of your shit. In in yeah. your time, in your
2: life, and being genuinely honest, has the best negotiations taken place inside a boardroom? or, you know, inside a pub in a more informal atmosphere? Where, where's the best place to speak to people?
0: As we've discovered um, from messages that have been released from a, a sort of an ongoing feud involving a short messaging social media platform and a man that makes rockets, neither of which I want to name, um, some, sometimes a lot of negotiation happens over uh, WhatsApp or equivalent messaging services. You can see, you know, like it's amazing. Elon Musk messages Larry Ellison. And look, it's all relative. And he's like, hey, what's up, Larry? Do you want to invest in my kind of taking Twitter private thing? Larry's like, cool, like a billion or whatever, you know? And Elon's like, cool, bro. And like, you know, that's (laughs) negotiation done and dusted. Um, You know, it's not, there are not many people in the world who effectively over WhatsApp are just like a billion, bro. Sound good? But... Yeah, a lot of like in truth, a lot of negotiations. It's depicted in TV series as highly dramatic and like people at each other's throats and trying to fuck each other over. And that's some weird nineteen eighties version of like Greed is good and Wall Street that's permeated into more Uh, broader sort of representations of how business is done but a lot of businesses people that kind of get to know each other trust each other uh, and you know you can agree to the broad strokes of of something and then okay the lawyers go work out the minutiae of a contract but it's succession and stuff is wild like this is not how the world i mean it's incredibly gripping that's just not how the world works in my view how the world works is elon messaging larry ellison saying are you in yeah cool i'll back you and that happens all the time and it happens in london it happens in paris people message they're like hey david i'm starting this thing do you want to throw some money in and you're like cool what about 500 euros you know it's all like i'm not larry ellison so you're not getting a billion um so anyway look that's um, that's my view
2: That was Paddy Cosgrave from Web Summit. For more interviews, news and analysis, pick up the Evening Standard newspaper or head over to standard.co.uk forward slash business. New episodes of How to Be a CEO drop every Monday morning. Come back then. We'd love to see you again.